Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host, and in today's journey, we're going to venture on down into Branch County and look at the history of the village of Bronson. So come along and join me. Now, Bronson was named after Jabez B. Bronson, who was the first settler in the area. And he had become the first postmaster in 1830. But he first settled in the area in 1828, and he had come from Ohio. And he called the town or established village as Bronson's Prairie. It later became incorporated as a village in the state of Michigan in 1866. And the name at that time was shortened to Bronson in 1871 when the Lakeshore and Michigan Southern Railroad came through and built a station there. Now, according to a chapter written by Henry Park Collin in 1843 on the history of Branch County, there is a reference to the village of Bronson. And it was in a book that he wrote called A 20th Century History and Biographical Record of Branch County. He describes that the settlement and beginnings of Bronson began when the movement of settlers along the Chicago Road began to appear in the last two years of the 1820s. So there had been about 1828, and that was when Mr. Bronson arrived. And a large portion, perhaps, of those who went through the county were prospectors for homesteads. That is, they had a definite locality in mind, but were merely on their way to a home in that vague country called the West, which at the time lay anywhere between the Allegheny and the Rocky Mountains. Some had in mind the prairies of Illinois, but even they sometimes stopped before reaching the destination by reason of having found the land of their heart's desire along the road getting there. An illustration of this story is presented in the case of a Batavia pioneer named John Bassett. Starting from his home in New York State in 1835, he had shipped his goods by canal and the lakes to Chicago, and he and his family had come overland by wagon. And his purpose was being to settle in Illinois. But while spending the night at the old New York house on the Chicago road, the Bassets discovered an old friend in the person of the wife of the landlord, William Reynolds, and instead of resuming the journey the next morning, they induced them to locate a home in Branch County. Not only that, but two other families traveling with the Bassets also chose to settle here. So it was no easy matter to bring east the goods that had been shipped to Chicago, but Mr. Bassett adhered to his determination and obtaining a homestead in Section 34 of Branch County became one of the substantial citizens of Batavia. Now, Batavia is about halfway between Coldwater and Bronson. So the first spot along the road to attract the passing immigrants was the Burr Oak Plain in the northeast quarter of what is now Bronson Township. And in 1828, J. Bronson, a Connecticut shipwright who had turned pioneer in the course of his wandering through southern Michigan, found the attractions of this place so strong that he couldn't resist it. And he remained here long enough to become identified with the history as the first settler 
and the first official of Branch County. And his official capacity, as I mentioned before, was postmaster. And I believe in the history of Branch County that is on the City of Bronson website, they say that he came from Ohio. But in this book, they clearly state that he was a Connecticut shipwright. So perhaps he came by way of Ohio. Maybe he stayed in Ohio for a time. The story continues that there are no records to indicate the exact motives that caused Mr. Bronson to locate where he did. But with such a character, the beauty of the land and its location along the Chicago Road, this may have just fulfilled all the conditions that would satisfy his restless nature. The fact that he made a tavern of his log house and accommodated there some of the first immigrants who passed through the county is itself sufficient reason for his location. He had spent the summer of 1827 in raising a crop in St. Joseph County and thus had time to pick out what he believed the most eligible site for a home and a place of business. So by 1836, families had settled on what was to become known as Bronson's Prairie. And this was according to a man by the name of Wales Adams who passed through that locality on that date. And he named the heads of the families as follows. Seth Durham, who was then supervisor of Green Township. Of course, Jay Bronson, who besides acting as the landlord of the community, was the justice of the peace and later became the postmaster. And then there was John J. Richardson, who was a constable and a collector. Then there was Samuel Smith, who'd come into the area in 1829. And by his trade, he was a cooper. Although owning a farm and engaging in his duties as nearly all the pioneers did. And then there was Jeremiah Tillotson, who had located there in the spring of 1829 and became a competitor of J. Bronson as an innkeeper and whose position in the community is evidenced by his election as the first supervisor of Prairie River Township. And then there was also Samuel Haslett. Now, the community was essentially the nucleus of what would become the Bronson Village. And already in 1829, it had a post office, which had been established in the house of J. Bronson. David and Alonzo Waterman arrived in 1833. And then they built a small building on the east side of what would be the present-day village. And in that building, they placed a small stock of things that a pioneer community would buy. And thus, they inaugurated the first commercial side of the settlement with a general store. And it seems that these men might well have been given the honor of founding the village of Bronson, for they had made the original plat of the village, to which they gave the name of the village at that time as York. This name was changed to Bronson by the same legislative act which gave the name of the first settler to the township. So there must have been a legislative act back in the early times around the 1830s that said the first settler was the one that chose the name of the township. And thus it had been named Bronson's Prairie, so it reverted back to Bronson's Prairie. But eventually it was called simply Bronson. And the settlement was thriving because it was right along the Chicago Road. Now, Jay Bronson moved away from the village in 1836, and his log cabin became occupied by another man by the name of E.L. Rose, 
who'd come from Niagara County, New York. And in 1838, he built the well-known Rose House, which stood on the north side of Chicago Street. In 1837, on the south side of Chicago Street, a short distance west of Ruggles Street, Mr. James Ruggles built a farmhouse in which he lived and kept public house for 16 years. In the meanwhile, many other historic settlements had made their way along the Great Road, and people were making their arrival in Bronson's town. So there was a small sketch that was written by Wales Adams for the Branch County Directory in 1870, and he described Bronson as this. He said, They, Wales Adams and Willard Pierce, traveled after stopping at Bronson's Prairie in September 1870, as above referred to, and through the counties of St. Joseph and Kalamazoo, and saw many beautiful and unoccupied locations, but unaccustomed to agricultural pursuits and country life, they knew not in what business to engage. After much reflection, they concluded to retrace their steps. Accordingly, about the 1st of October, they left Prairie Rond in the morning, followed the trail through Nottawa, and reached the Chicago Trail about an hour after sunset, five miles west of Bronson's Prairie, and near where the Chicago Road now crosses Prairie River. Here he states that the road to Bronson was circuitous and difficult to follow, and an interesting sidelight on the condition of the Chicago Road at that point in history. While they were debating whether to continue their journey to Bronson that evening or to remain without shelter in the wilderness, the tired travelers discovered the camp of an immigrant party consisting of Resin Holmes and Thomas Holmes with their families, who had come from Marion County, Ohio, and were on their way further west. Adams and his friend, having been accommodated overnight in their roadside quarters the next morning to resume the Mr. Adams narrative, the parties examined the surrounding country, and before night it was stipulated that Pierce and Adams would build a sawmill where the Chicago Trail at that time crossed Prairie River, and that the Holmeses would settle in the immediate vicinity. Accordingly, in the course of a few days, Pierce went on foot to Monroe, where the land office was then, and he purchased also mill irons and shipped them around the lakes to the mouth of the St. Joseph River and then sent them up the river to Mottsville. The following July, 1831, the mill was in operation. Mr. Pierce became dissatisfied with the country and with the business of making lumber, and he sold his interest in the sawmill to William Kent, and then he returned east. Interesting as it is the story of the origin of the settlement, there's little to connect this place with the subsequent history of the township. The site chosen for the mill in the northwest corner of section 29 was in the dense woods and low and swampy ground that did not attract settlers looking for farms. The sawmill was an institution of great value to the settlers for those that were within the area for miles around, but the dam was considered a nuisance, and after it was swept away by high water, no attempt was made to rebuild the dam. Adams Mills was the place in which Bishop Chase stopped overnight 
and where he received the information which led him to settle in the small later village of Gilead. The bishops mentions that landlord Judson, who had come from New York at state in the fall of 1831, had established a tavern at this point mainly for the accommodation of those employed at the mill. And then later a post office was established at Prairie River in 1832 in the Judson House, who was one of the settlers in that area that I've already mentioned. So that's some of that history there. So Bronson was officially incorporated as a village in 1866, and it was made a city in 1934. And Bronson established a new city charter in 1985. And this charter established the council manager form of government under which Bronson now still operates. And it's essentially a five-member city council. And among the city council members, they elect the mayor out of the five elected officials. Now, according to the United States Census Bureau, the city has a total of about 1.37 square miles of land. And as of the 2020 census, the population is about 2,307 people. And as always, when I do these little studies on the different villages, I try to look for famous people that came from the community. And I was only able to find one in my searching of people that came from Bronson, and that was Martha Elizabeth Caldwell. And she was an American printmaker, typographer, and writer. She was born in Bronson, and according to the 1880 United States Census, her family, including parents, Alicia and Nancy, and her siblings lived on a farm at Burr Oak. Caldwell would go on to study at the School of Art Institute in Chicago, and in her career, she would go on to work in advertising and was known for her hand-lettered newspaper advertisements. In 1909, she published a book of poetry called Songs and Sonnets, which she designed and illustrated herself, and she published other such books during her career. 1910 saw the publication of the volume On Making of Woodblock Color Prints for the American Type Founders, and Caldwell designed the 1916 display typeface that was used in that book. And over the years, her paintings in prints have become collector's items. One of her paintings from that period during the 1930s is known as a bowl of fruit, and it's a watercolor and temperer on panel. And it's currently owned by Western Illinois University. And there are several other works from her collection that are on display at the Fine Arts Museum of San Francisco. And Caldwell exhibited widely throughout her career and was a member of the Chicago Society of Artists and the Chicago and New York Societies of Etchers. And she was born in 1881 in Bronson, Michigan, and she passed away in 1961. Today, Bronson has an estimated 300 farms in the area and the agriculture is, is pretty diversified, including dairy production, swine, beef, sheep, and grain farming. And Bronson has a lot of old historic homes in the village. And the Bronson Public Library building is one of the few remaining Carnegie libraries still in its original unaltered configuration. And there's an organization called the Friends of the Library, which is a devoted group of local area citizens dedicated to promoting and preserving this precious landmark. And as far as school systems, 
Bronson schools consist of about one-third of all the school districts in Branch County, and the enrollment in the system is about 1,500 students today. Now, one of the interesting festivals they hold in Bronson, and in 2022 it was its 52nd year, and it was called the Bronson Polish Festival. And that's coming up in July, so if you guys are interested in some kind of an event to go to that's a bit unique you might want to check their polish festival facebook page for details unfortunately i don't have the current dates of this year's festival it looks like it's the third week of july down in bronson they don't have the new dates on their website looking at their facebook page on the bronson polish festival it does look like the events take place on Saturday, July 22nd. And so if you're interested in finding out about the Bronson Polish Festival, I will put the link to their Facebook page in the description of this podcast episode because that looks like a whole lot of fun as well as a lot of good eating. And of course, Bronson, like a lot of these other small communities, have some great little downtown areas and the businesses seem to be still hanging on in the rural area. And uh, one of the favorite places to stop in that town is Smitty's Pizza. And there's also a lot of other great businesses in that downtown area, including the Bronson Community Theater, where they put on a lot of plays and productions throughout the year. So you can check that out and find out more information about that on the BronsonMichigan.com website. But that's going to conclude today's episode, looking at some of the history and information about the village of Bronson and how it became a city of Bronson in Branch County. And I try to do a lot of the villages of the different counties and the towns that I travel through a lot. I've been to Bronson many times. They have their purple Vikings on all of their signs for their street signs when you drive through the community, and it's quite noticeable. And um, I've tried to to go through on this podcast to share some of the backstory of a lot of these towns as I do research on each one of them. I've done quite a number in Hillsdale County, and now I'm working my way through some of the smaller communities in Branch County. I've done quite a number of towns and villages in Calhoun County, done a few over in Kalamazoo, Berrien County, Cass County, and so forth. Uh, Also, I've had some guests on to talk about some of the places up in Eaton County and Barry County and also in Allegan. So I've also got plans to do a lot more of these types of episodes because I find that it's always fascinating to learn what you can about these communities and it puts you a little bit more in connection with Southwest Michigan as a whole and the whole pioneer history and how some of these communities got established and many of them have a common origin where they were established around a sawmill or a grist mill but there are also a lot of other interesting people and stories that come out of these places as they were established. So that's going to conclude today's journey through history. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a like or a review or a rating on whatever app that you are listening on. And I just received a notice that the app called Stitcher is going to be sunsetting sometime later this summer where they're not going to be in existence anymore, which is kind of sad because I've got about 10 to 15% of the audience out there that has started to join me from that app this year. So I hope that you will jump onto some of the other apps and continue listening to this podcast. And they should have sent you an email telling you how you can transfer all your podcast uh, listening preferences to 
a new app of your own choice. So you should look into that if you're listening on Stitcher. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners out there. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.